couple of those songs I have never heard before. They are good. And my God will supply all of my needs according to his word and his riches and his glory. Notice it says need there, not want. Because there are times I would love a Harley Davidson. But that's, uh, that's not going to happen. Because they're way overpriced. All right, praise the Lord. Well, today we're going to continue in 1 John. If you have your Bibles, please go to 1 John. We know that the book of 1 John is one of the five, one of the five books in the New Testament that was written by John the Apostle, the brother of James. This was written in AD 85 to AD 100. 1 John was written to a church or a group of churches who were having a hard time with false teachers. And because of that, he sat down and he penned this book as well as 2 and 3 John. You know, the title of the message today is, Be Who God's Made You. Be Who God Has Made You. An atheist scientist, isn't that ironic? An atheist scientist came to God, and he said, We figured out how to make a man without you. And God said, Okay, let me see you do it. So the atheist bent down to the ground and scooped up a handful of dirt. But God stopped him and said, oh, no, you don't. Get your own dirt. By the time, another joke, by the time Bobby arrived, the football game had already started. Why are you so late, asked his friend. I couldn't decide between going to church and going to the football game, so I tossed a coin. Uh, But that shouldn't have taken too long, said his friend. Well, I had to toss it 35 times. Now, both of these stories, their reason and their tie-in will become apparent in a few moments. All right. 1 John 2, verse 12. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away in the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. Let's pray. Father God, we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory. Lord, I ask that you would use me this morning um, to speak your word. Holy Spirit, we ask that as your word hits us, all of us, that you would change us. Lord, we know that the worst thing is, is that we leave the same way we came into this building. God, help us to be mission-minded for those that are around us. Lord, send the workers from the north, the south, the east, and the west. God, help us to reap your harvest. We don't know necessarily how to do it, but we pray, Lord, that you would show us. We pray, Lord, that you would give us the understanding and the willingness and ability to make it happen. 
Lord, we just want to see this world changed for you and in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. A true Christian is not a friend of the world, but has a close relationship with Christ. That's our life principle today. A true Christian is not a friend of the world, but has a close relationship with Christ. Let's look at that first part there, 1 John 2, 12. And here's our life point. The true Christian has a close relationship with God. Let's talk about our relationship with God and what John is telling us here in 1 John 2.12. He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his namesake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the father. I have written to you, fathers, because you've known him who is from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Now, first thing we have to understand about this passage is that when he writes young men, the fathers, little children, he's not literally writing to that specific group. Look how it's broken down. You've got the little children, you've got the young men, you've got the fathers. Progression through life. This means all believers, the young, the old, and everything in between. John had just gone over those who do not know Christ, right? We just did that. We discussed that last week. But he is convinced that a large number of those in the churches were Christians and that he's not writing to condemn them at this point. He says he's writing to protect them from the false teachers and from the false teaching. And in this small section, he reminds them of the truth of the Christian experience. Those that are saved have their sins forgiven, past, present, and future. That is the true experience of the Christian experience. That's what it's based on. How does that happen? Through the shed blood of Jesus Christ at the cross. No other way can we know Jesus Christ. When did this happen? I just said it, at the cross. Colossians 2.11 says, In Him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him, through faith in the working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh, He has made alive together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting requirements that was against us which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross, having disarmed principalities and powers. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Now, the New American Standard Bible gives us, gives us a little bit more of insight on that translation. And I'm going to read this part again right here in the NASB. It says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands and the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. And here's the key having canceled out the certificate of debt 
consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, triumphed over them through him. Now I want you to look at that. Canceled out the certificate of debt. What's he talking about here? Well, that particular Greek word says that you would use that certificate of debt phrase when you owed a debt. So he canceled it by paying the debt. He canceled out what we owed at the cross. Our sins are forgiven. We have been set free from the law of sin and death and been made right with Christ or through Christ by grace. Romans 8, 1 through 4 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. If that don't make you happy today, you're in the wrong church. And you need Jesus. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those that are saved know Him who was from the beginning. The saved know God, and they have a personal relationship with Him. Remember John 1, 1 and 2, it said in the, in, we're talking about the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. This means we know Jesus. Jesus is the Word. Not only that, but the Holy Spirit dwells within us. The third person of the Trinity, God Himself, should be dwelling in the believer. Or you don't really know Him. Ephesians 1.13 says, In Him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. And here's the key. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. You're to come to the realization that you do not belong to yourself. You belong to the Holy Spirit if you're saved. He writes to remind them that those that are saved have already overcome the wicked one. Satan and his demons are done. And that's only possible because of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross for you and for me. Jesus has already overcome the world, the flesh and the devil. John 16, 33. These things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Yes, we're promised tribulation. No, you can't have your best life now. That comes later. In the world you will have trouble. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. Many a Christian has gone to the grave singing and glorifying God and being of good cheer. 
Right up until the end. Why? Because they knew where they were going. Because they knew that heaven waited before them. Colossians 2.15 says, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. Folks, we live in a spiritual reality as well. There is the physical and there is the spiritual. And when Jesus went to the cross, and when he rose again on the third day, he declared victory over Satan and his minions. He declared he was the victor. He not only started the war, but he finished the war right there. He writes, John does, because the saved have known and know the Father, the first person of the Trinity. How have we known him? John tells us again back in his gospel, 14.5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Anyone who says that there is another way, they are not saved. Period. He says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me? Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? In the Father? Excuse me. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father. And the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Now this whole section, it, we've seen the Trinity at work. Three persons in one. And you know, a lot of times people will ask me, how, how do I explain the Trinity, Pastor? Well, there's several ways, and people will use an egg, or they'll use Neapolitan ice cream. You know, that chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. I'm going to get off that. I'm not allowed to have that. But uh, here's a very short explanation that doesn't break down. Because all analogies break way down. The concept is so far beyond our experience, so far beyond us, that we cannot possibly truly understand it. The only way to stay true to the biblical concept is to say that our God is one and He is three. That's it. Our God is one. And he is three. Well, I don't understand that, Pastor. Do you really want to? Do you really want to serve a God that you fully understand? I don't. Think about what kind of a weak God that would be if we could fully understand God. John says he's written to us because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Notice that John reiterates everything that we're strong in Christ so long as the Word is in us. So long as the Word is in us. So long as the Word is in us. That's the only way we can overcome the wicked one. Check this out. Mark chapter 9, verse 25. It'll be on the screen. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. 
And then the Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and it came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. What was the purpose of prayer and fasting? A lot of people have missed it today. What was the purpose of prayer and fasting? What is it today? Well, it shows us that we need to spend time with God. It is not just for the sacrifice of not eating. We've got a whole other situation where people think, if I don't eat, God's going to bless me. That's not what it's about. When one skips meals back then, especially then, they were long meals. You think an hour's long? Try eating some of their meals. They took a, they took a good time, especially at night. Sometimes hours. Well, what were you doing during that time? You're skipping the meal to spend time with God, to get closer to Him, to increase your time, making the Word more a part of you, being filled with God's power and God's promise. Being close to Jesus is the only way we can truly overcome the wicked one. You know, there's an interesting saying people call today. They say, carnal Christian." You know what I say? You know what that really means? Unsaved. Because either you're a Christian or you're not. Well, we mean it to mean that they just don't understand the Scripture. Let me tell you something. I don't have that experience. If you do, fine. We can talk about it later. But let me tell you what happened when I got saved. I picked up the Bible and I never put it down. I had a hunger for God's Word. I wanted to know everything there was in it. Even if I didn't understand it, I want to know it. Now that we've gone and chased that rabbit, shot it, and baked it, notice I said baked and not fried, because fried food's bad for you these days. At least that's what they tell me. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We want a true relationship with Christ, folks. Not like, not like the Laodiceans had. Anybody remember the church of Laodicea in the book of Revelation? The Laodicean church is described in the Bible as being lukewarm. As a matter of fact, he says the lukewarm there are so bad that he's just going to vomit them out of his mouth. If the Laodiceans were to have a hymnal, let, let me tell you what some of the hymns would be. Let me tell you what some of the hymns should be in some of our churches in the United States. Starting with number one, a comfy mattress is our God. Above average is thy faithfulness. According to the suggestions made in your word, all creatures of our friend and buddy, all hail the influence of Jesus' name. All my mistakes are gone. Amazing grace, how interesting the sound. Be thou my hobby. Blessed insurance. Blessed be the tie that doesn't cramp my style. Bless Jesus, here we sit. Crown him with many hats. Fairest bud, Jesus. Give what you don't want to the master. Go tell it to the speed bump. Hail Jesus, you're my acquaintance. Here I am, send someone else. How above average is your name? I have decided to forego Jesus. I love to talk about telling the story. I bring thee some, 
I kind of believe the Bible. I need thee every year or so. I surrender some. I will make an effort not to forget. I'm fairly certain that my Redeemer lives. Joyful, joyful, we kind of like thee. Just as I am with lots of excuses. Just as I pretend to be. Lord, keep us loosely connected to your word. Must I obey instead of have thine own way? Not my life, let me be. O come all ye wishy-washy. Sit up, sit up for Jesus. Spirit of the living God, fall somewhere near me. Sweet minute of prayer. Take time to be lazy. Teach me, Lord, thy easy way. There shall be sprinkles of blessing. When peace like a trickle instead of a river. When the saints go sneaking in. And my personal all-time favorite, where he leads me, I will consider following. A lot of these parody here definitely describes a lot of people in church today. But the one that I think describes a lot of people who are churchgoers, maybe not Christians, but churchgoers, is a comfy mattress is our God. And that shouldn't be. Not at all. Our next life point is a true Christian is not a friend of the world. A true Christian is not a friend of the world. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life is not in the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. In today's Christianity, people do exactly that. They're willing to be inconvenienced for Jesus, but they're really not. They're not really, no, I don't want to be inconvenienced for Jesus. That's okay, Jesus. I don't want to tell people about you, because if I do, they're going to think I'm weird and, uh, and that I'm a hypocrite. So I'm just not going to talk to people about Jesus. And when it comes to church, they say things like, the AC better not be broken. Don't tell me the pews aren't padded. I don't like blue. I want to go to a church that has blue carpets or pews. I want red. Even worse, today's evangelicals are really close to the world. Really close to the world. I'm going to give you some statistics that will shock you. Matter of fact, they blew me away when I looked them up. Today's evangelicals should take that name off of themselves. Because they're not evangelicals. They're not even Christians, most of them. In the church today, 48% of those that say they're evangelicals, like Southern Baptists, etc., believe that a person who is good enough or does enough good works can earn eternal salvation. That's almost half of our churchgoers today who are unsaved in the pew. 44% do not believe that history is the unfolding narrative of God's reality. 44%! 44% claim that the Bible is ambiguous in its teaching about abortion. No, it is not. 
43% maintain that when Jesus was on earth, he sinned. 43%! That should scare you. 42% seek moral guidance, not from the Bible, but from other places. When the Bible is our source for all things that are good, you seek moral guidance from other sources. 42% do not identify and confess their sins on a daily basis. Because if you don't identify them, you don't know what you did wrong or didn't do right. They're salving their conscience when they do that. It's important to identify and confess our sins on a daily basis. 40% in the church accept that lying is morally acceptable if it advances personal interests or protects their reputation. 40% accept that lying is acceptable. Folks, I don't care if it's a teeny lie, a big lie, or, or just nobody going to find out kind of lie. You don't lie. Scripture teaches it. I don't care how old you are. Don't lie. 36% of those in the churches today say they prefer socialism to capitalism. 34% reject the idea of legitimate marriage as one man and one woman. 34%. Another 34% argue that abortion is morally acceptable if it spares the mother from financial or emotional discomfort or hardship. That was the question. That was the exact question. If it spares the mother financial or emotional discomfort or hardship, 34% say that's okay to kill a baby in the womb. That's wrong. You know, these people can call themselves whatever they wish. They can call themselves evangelicals, but they cannot call themselves saved, born-again believers. They're unsaved. They're unregenerate people, and they need Jesus, according to the Scripture. And so do we. Because if that is what's being taught in churches, or that is what people believe in churches in America today, we have a problem. We have failed as Christians to preach the gospel. Matthew 15, 8 says, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That first statistic makes me angry. Makes me angry at the churches in the United States and around the world. That means the gospel is not being preached. Period. It also makes me sad because that means 48% of those who are churchgoers and call themselves evangelical Protestant churches like us, like Southern Baptists, they're dying and going to hell on a daily basis. 1 Corinthians 9.16 says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. May it never be said that the members of this church do not preach the gospel. May it never be said that Pastor Joe does not preach the gospel. 
That's ridiculous. And so you can't say that. Let me share with you the simplicity of the gospel right now. A lot of you have heard of something called the Romans Road. I like the Romans Road. It's simple. I like simple. Romans 3, 9 through 12 says, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know what all means? It means all. Not some. All. Me, you, everyone. Romans 6.23 even takes a step further. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The price for sin is death, period. Both physical and spiritual. If you're sitting here today you know you, and you know you don't belong to Jesus, then this is the price that you will pay. Death. That being said, God did not leave us in our sins. No, He paid the price that you can't pay. He became the sacrifice for your sin and my sin. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates His own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I got a newsflash for you. We all were sinners. We all commit sin. But Christ died for me. Christ died for you. All sinners can receive salvation and eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Anyone who places their trust in Jesus receives the promise of eternal life. Romans 10.9 says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's a key there. With the heart one believes unto righteousness. And from the inside of the man will come out the confession is made unto salvation. Jesus said it's not what goes in to the mouth that makes a man unclean, but what comes out. What does that mean? Whatever your heart is, that's going to come out. If it's bitterness, bitterness is going to come out. If it's sin, sin is going to come out. If it's Jesus, Jesus is going to come out. Romans 10, 13, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Salvation, salvation through Jesus Christ brings us into a relationship of peace with God. When we accept God's gift, we have the reward of knowing we'll never be condemned for our sins because Christ paid it all. Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. 
Romans 8, 38, For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do not leave here today and be one of the 48% of American evangelicals who are dying and they are still in their sin and they are going to hell. Do not leave here today in that state. Ever. John Stott, in Authentic Christianity, said this, or wrote this. We need to repent of the haughty way in which we sometimes stand in judgment upon Scripture. We must learn to sit humbly under its judgments instead. If we come to Scripture with our minds made up, expecting to hear from it only an echo of our own thoughts, and never the thunderclap of God's, then indeed He will not speak to us, and we shall only be confirmed in our own prejudices. We must allow the Word of God to confront us, to disturb our security, to undermine our complacency, and to overthrow our patterns of thought and behavior. Today, folks, if you have heard the Romans road, but you are in self-deception, don't know that you don't know that you need Jesus. You need to stop and examine your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning and make sure that you know Him. A.W. Tozer said this, Before the judgment seat of Christ... My service will not be judged by how much I have done, but by how much of me there is in in it. No man gives it all until he has given all. No man gives anything acceptable to God until he has first given himself in love and sacrifice to Jesus Christ. Are you a true Christian? That's the first question. Are you a true Christian? Because a true Christian is not a friend of the world, but has a close relationship with Jesus, our Savior, our Messiah, our Christ. As the ladies come, I want you to ask yourself, how close to the world, if you're saved, are you this morning? How close to the world are you this morning? There are some times in our lives when we, we get a little too close. We don't even realize it because daily we're being bombarded with fake news, with wrong information, with wrong morality choices, with evil morals. How close to the world have you become, number one? And number two, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure you know Jesus and He knows you? In Matthew seven twenty one, He said... Not many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? And I will say unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. Are you sure that Jesus knows you this morning? But I've cast out demons. Uh Uh-huh. Jesus said that would happen. But I've done many wonderful works for the church and Jesus. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. But he's used me to prophesy his word. Yep, he sure has. But that doesn't mean he knows you. There are many preachers who will wake up in hell one day 
There's a statistic out there that says, what was it, uh, 34 or 40 percent of pastors in America. Now, this counted Protestants, evangelicals, all of them. They claim to be atheists, but they don't leave the church because they don't know how to do anything else. So they're liars and hypocrites, and they need to be taken out of the ministry because that's not ministry. Folks, don't count on your wonderful works when Jesus comes back. Don't be the one. He says, I never knew you. Depart from me. If you need to know Christ, I'm here. If you need special prayer for sickness, healing, whatever, I'm up here. As we sing, ladies...